Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme. I'm artistic director Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we went down the rabbit hole. During the slam, things got curiouser and curiouser, as guest host Emma Arnold randomly drew names from the Mad Hatter's hat during a madcap spill-the-tea party of five-minute stories, recorded live at the Visual Arts Collective, Garden City, Idaho. Follow the White Rabbit. It's story time. All right, Mike S., come to the stage. Pants together for Mike S. Get up here. I think I'm just going to just go for it. So, I don't know how I got roped into this, but so my name is Mike. And, uh, hi, how's it going? So... Uh, I've been trying to kind of figure out, so I do sleep medicine, uh, just kind of weird. Like I've watched, so I probably watched a couple of you in here sleep before, I know. <laughs> Super weird, but it's diagnostic, right? And it, it's to help, it's to help, right? So I got kind of roped into sleep medicine uh, like 2002, 2003, didn't know anything about it. And kind of what I've learned about it over the years is, so weird, right? Like, have you ever watched anybody else sleep besides your partner? I, I know, it's kind of weird. And what I have found is like, it's people at its most vulnerable, like it's the great equalizer. So, so I work for the Department of Veterans Affairs now, and I was kind of trying to figure out like, what's a great story? So I had this guy come in, and he's like a full bird colonel, right? Like this guy has all the respect in the world. Like he has done things, he's seen things, and he comes in and you know, and, and we're chatting and, and I was like, well, you know, you need to change into whatever it is you're going to sleep in. And he's like, well, I don't sleep in anything. And I was like, well, I don't get paid for that, really. So, so he's like, well, I did bring one thing. And I was like, well, and he's like, but you need to leave so I can change. I was like, sure. So I go out and I come back in and apparently this guy didn't have any pajamas, but his wife had one of those long flannel onesies. <laughs> And so I come in and this guy's sitting on the edge of the bed, you know, prim, proper, military, and he's wearing basically like a pink and baby blue, like plaid flannel onesie. And I was just like, he's like, we don't talk about this. It's okay. I was like, we won't talk about this, but here I am on stage talking about it, but you don't know his name, so it's not a violation of HIPAA, right? So (laughs) you'll never know. I was never here. So, you know, so like, you know, everybody, when they go to sleep, like, it's like, well, do I scratch my butt when I'm asleep? Yes, you do. And it's weird. So, like, when I call and anytime I go to, like, transfer, like, our power bill or whatever, and they're like, oh, what do you do for your job? It's like, well, I'm a sleep technician. And, like, oh, you do sleep studies? And it's like, well, boy, do I have something to tell you. And I'm just like, oh, man, Carol, like, we, I can't diagnose you over the phone. I'm not a doctor. It's... It's, it's definitely weird, but it, like, it balances people out, I think, right? Like, it's kind of like the great equalizer. Like, we're all going to go home and go to bed later, right? Some of us are going to sleep better than others. But, yeah, it, it's, man, I've seen some just weird, the stuff you say in your sleep, super weird. Like, <laughs> whether you think you do or not, you do. And, it, boy, is it strange. Like, so, one last quick story. So, I, was, I had this guy come in. This was years ago in Eugene, Oregon. And this guy came in, and he was like the nicest guy, and he was super sweet. We hugged him, and he went to bed, and in his sleep, he was just like, bring the van around back. 
I got the money. You're going to put it in there. And we were like, oh, that's weird. And, and then... Like, and then later on, he's like, and I'm never going to Sears. Their prices are too high. Turns out he was right. And he gets up in the morning and he just comes out and he's like, how are you boys doing today? And we're just like, don't turn your back. Like, don't turn your back on this guy. He just like wandered out. And it's just like, you just wonder about the history of people. Yeah. Everybody does weird things in their sleep. Like, I've seen just people just, just bad at butterflies and they're like did you see the butterflies it's like no no it, it's it's weird but yeah i don't got five minutes but that's what i got but everybody's weird thank you do we have a steve s coming oh there he is okay come on keep clapping keep clapping it makes him feel good it makes him feel good thank you there's uh, a lot of holes involved in uh, healthcare training. <laughs> Two of those that stood out to me, the first was deciding what to do. There's a lot of different specialties. What am I going to do? Uh, the second was, you know, test taking was part of the norm and getting to that spot. And so that's not unusual, but patient interaction, working with people. And there were two whole of a stories that uh, stood out in my training that, uh, that uh, will always stay with me. And the first involved, well, so as part of the training, the first two years are a lot of book work. Uh, and then the second two years are a lot of patient work. And all of it's incredible as far as um, preparing you for what's to come. But the first two years, they try to incorporate some unique patient experiences uh, to give you an opportunity to see what it's like. And in this particular school, they, they had a one-way mirror and a pseudo-exam room, and you'd go in with your coat. Uh, the coat for a medical student is, goes to here, and so uh, there's, there's a joke about water and it growing as you, as you go through the training. <laughs> you go in with your short coat, and you introduce yourself, and, and I introduced myself to this woman, and I didn't know, quite know what to say, Dr. Smith, not sure. I'm not a doctor yet, but anyway, that's what I'll say I am. What can I do for you? Uh, she says, well, uh, I haven't been feeling that well. Okay, great. Uh, um, uh, well, so what kind of symptoms are you having? You know, I'm having some chest pain, or I'm having some tummy pain, and and the preceptors that are on the other side of the window, so these are attending trained physicians who've been doing it for years, uh, they're watching the whole encounter, and they've kind of given you the prompt that this has something to do with mental health. So I had that clue. Uh, so I said, okay, well, regarding your chest pain and your tummy pain, how's, how's your mental health? It was a bit of a jump, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was told to do. <clears throat> she said, well, Fortunately, she said, well, that's struggling as well. Okay, well, good. I'm, I'm on the right track. I'm learning something here. Uh, well, uh, tell me more. Uh, what are you feeling? Well, I've I, just been feeling sad lately. I've been feeling depressed. And, and okay, well, I know by the training that, you know, the I got to get in there at some point. I need to ask this person if she's suicidal, if she's, if she's having any thoughts of hurting herself. It's just, you got to do it. You got to check that box. As to where to go from there, I had no idea. So that was my next jump. Well, are you having any thoughts of hurting yourself? 
And she said, no. And the student side of me said, well, no, that can't be the right answer. <laughs> I didn't say that, I thought that. But then I said, well, are you sure about that? <laughs> she says, yeah, I'm sure. And I said, in my thought, I thought, that's impossible. That's, that's not how this is supposed to go. <laughs> and I really did say this. You, are you sure you don't, are you, you haven't had any thoughts of using any pills, any extra Zoloft, or, <laughs> or, or locking yourself anywhere in a car, anything? And right then, lights went on in the room. The attendings stopped the whole preceptorship and stopped the encounter. They pulled me aside, stopped it, and they, they pulled me in another room, gave me feedback, and the essence of the feedback was, uh, Steve, you probably shouldn't go into psychiatry. <laughs> the second hole I encountered was during my obstetric and gynecology rotation. <laughs> Same scenario, room, me, short coat, woman, 55s, <laughs> and I'm supposed to perform a pelvic exam. So they gave us some training. Uh, they, 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 the, the, the class prior to this was anatomy. It's a little different learning from a cadaver and being in front of a live actor. So fortunately, they've done this for a while. They know how to get a medical student through this. She coached me through it. And I didn't quite know how deep the cave was. <laughs> but I did my best. I did my best. And at one point, at one point, uh, she made a noise. And it was not a noise of pleasure. It was a noise of pain. And I don't know, and, and I retracted, I degloved, and she then provides feedback. <clears throat> and she said, Mr. Smith, you probably shouldn't go into obstetrics and gynecology. <laughs> Thank you. Matt Melton. Oh, here he comes. Here he comes. So, I did, when I was in high school, I did, um, among other things, I was very extracurricular. I did a lot of activities. I was, I was, uh, thank you. Yeah, we're ready for high school. Said no one ever. Um, and I, did, I didn't do the cool ones, so I was like a uh, captain of the speech and debate team, and I was, yes, thank you. Uh, I lettered in that, by the way. Did you know you could letter in speech and debate? Because I totally did. But I was more a speaker than a debater. I didn't really do much in the way of debate. In order to get, I, I think, they could have lied to me. I was a dorky kid who lettered in speech and debate. So this might have been a lie, but I was told that if I wanted to letter in speech and debate, I had to do a debate. And I wasn't really interested in debating. But I had a friend who was like a championship Lincoln-Douglas debater. So if you're not familiar, yeah, right? So, okay. so you obviously know, for the rest of you, if you've never done speech and debate, which is like probably all of you, 
there are two different kinds of debate. There's a uh, policy debate, which is kind of dry, boring. The U.S. should do this. The U.S. should not do that. And there's Lincoln-Douglas debate, which is like value and morality, and it's like really great stuff. So he was a Lincoln-Douglas debater, and I was a dipshit individual event speaker. So we got put together at this one event where they did this different type of debate. It was called parliamentary debate, and it kind of combined elements of both. It was a team debate over sort of kind of policy, kind of morality, kind of whatever. And I was like, well, he's, a, he's, he's gonna carry the team. I'll come in and I'll do what I can and, and we'll, we'll get my, I'll get my letter. So uh, we're, at the, we're at the Boise State. Boise State is hosting, the college is hosting a high school tournament and we have a, you know, we have a round and it's all limited prep. So they, you come into the room and the judge is like, okay, here's a resolution. And the resolution always goes, this house believes blank. And if you are on the affirmative, you have to define this house and you have to set all the definitions. So if it's like this house believes in term limits, who is the house? What are term limits? You set all these out. So we got one round, we got uh, this house believes in Bush's economic stimulus package. Now this was like 2002, 2003 is about when I went to high school. So Bush was president. I didn't know dick about the stimulus package. I didn't know anything about I was like 17 years old. What do I know or care about this? So we get out in the hall, we start writing our case, and we happen to see one of our policy debaters walking down the hallway, and I'm like, hey, 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 come here. What the hell is Bush's economic stimulus package? Because we don't know anything about it. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, something, something, trickle-down economics, Reagan, on whatever, something like that. I was like, great, fine, cool. We have 15 minutes. We're rolling with that. And we're on the affirmative, so we have to go, yay, Bush's economic stimulus package. So we get up there, and Joe, my friend, is our first constructive. He's the one that sets the tone, sets the definitions. I come in and back clean up. So he gets up there, and this house is the United States, and Bush's economic stimulus package is something, something, Reaganomics, whatever. And we do our constructive case, and we sit down. And the guy gets up, just as cocky as you please. He's just... And, you know, this, with this sort of semblance of collegiality, he's like, and I, you know, I first just want to thank the judge and everybody watching. There's no one watching. You can go watch those if you want to. You shouldn't, but they are open to the public. It was only my girlfriend at the time and Joe's dad. And Joe's dad is a stern-ass, like, he trained fucking, like, ninjas in Afghanistan or something as a contractor. He's, like, the scariest dude I know. And it's only those two people in the room and the judge. And the guy's like, and I'd like to thank our opponents for their uh, interesting, if not uh, creative, uh, definitions. And we're both like, fuck me. We just hit two policy dudes. They're going to just savage us. They know everything about this. We're so hosed. And the dude gets up there and he's like, well, first of all, because the first thing you do is you challenge a definition. So the guy's like, first, we're going to challenge some of these definitions. We have no problem with the house being the United States. That's fine. But then he goes on to define Bush as like... The Bush. And he goes on to define stimulus as stimulus. And they build their entire case on the fact that we are trying to promote promiscuity and like adultery and all this whack shit. And Joe and I are both, we got a legal pad between us and we're both like, what the holy hell is happening, bro? So we're, we're like, how do we even refute any of this? So we get up there, we're like, what the hell? Like, no, our definitions are correct because we're talking about the president, et cetera, et cetera. And so we, we go this entire time and I don't dare look at Joe's dad because he is just there. 
as inscrutable as a fucking sphinx. Just like, I can't look at this dude. I'm going to crack up. And Jessica, my girlfriend, is just... The entire time, so I'm like, okay, okay, don't, don't, don't panic. Just get, just get, finish, finish the thing. And we get up there, and Joe gives the last uh, rebuttal. And Joe gets up there with the fire and the brimstone, and he's like, these dudes aren't taking this seriously. This is supposed to be about school. I'm sorry for everyone that had to hear this. This is immoral. Blah, blah, blah. He's just bringing just that, just that sinners in the hand of an angry God shit. And we finish up. And we're packing up, and the two guys come over to us, and they are ashen white, and they go, dude, we, we are so sorry if we offended you. We have no idea what Bush's economic stimulus package is. And Joe and I are just, don't worry about it. We're cool, thanks. Anyway, that's my story, thank you. We're going to do our story slammer of shame. Josh. This is a story about making love. Standing up, a story about bringing your partner the most pleasure possible. A story about New Orleans about the hunger that happens when you just want to connect with another person. It is a story of tango. Last weekend, got off the airplane, found the Uber driver, driving to the hotel. Uber driver says, I never, I never know how many of my passengers are murderers. You ever wonder that? I don't know. I say, I'm in here. I'm in town for tango. That's why I'm here. I don't give a shit about murderers. I'm interested in love. Or dancing. Something like that. I'll fast forward here to the actual event. You know, it's not jazz. It's not seafood. It's the tango. It's a room, it's in a hotel, it's in the Astor Crown, down on the French Quarter. The music, it started, it's old music, it's Argentine tango. I look around the room. In tango, the way you ask, the way you ask a woman to dance is with hunger in your eyes. You find, you find her. She sees that hunger in your eyes. You smile, you nod your head. You walk to her, she stands, she smiles. And then, onto the dance floor, and you embrace. And you feel the power, not of love, not of eroticism, but the power of truth. The power of two hearts and two bodies moving as if the world had disappeared. <laughs> you feel the breasts. Oh wait, that's not quite. You feel something that makes you want to become more than just a traveler, more than just a tourist. It's a desire to leave the world into a different kind of rabbit hole 
I mean, this is New Orleans. My father always told me that the best LSD scene in any Hollywood movie was Easy Rider. This wonderful scene in a cemetery where these guys were crawling around on statues and stuff. It was wild. I don't know if any of you saw that movie. My father said it was great. I saw it. I thought it was kind of boring. So, it was a wonderful night of dancing. It's New Orleans. Beautiful old hotel. Love the music. Fast forward the next day. The dance on a riverboat in the Mississippi. Paddles are swirling, boats rocking a little bit, Argentine music playing, still with all that hunger in my eyes. Walking, walking amidst the women, looking at them. I find the oldest woman in the room. She's been sitting for a long time. I look at her with that hunger in my eyes. And she smiles. I take her onto the dance floor. And we start to move. And it, it's not a perfect dance. But it's wonderful, it's beautiful. This is a woman who spent many years, many years as one of the most beautiful women in the room. And I still feel that inside of her. And this is perfect. I look across the room at a young woman she meets my eyes. She smiles. She sees me dancing with this older woman, and I know that she sees this beauty, this generosity. Maybe? I don't know. It was a wonderful dance on the riverboat. Fast forward to the following night. <laughs> it's another dance. It's a, it's a tango festival. You dance for four nights in a row. Late. I was up till 3 a.m. Four nights in a row. I took naps. It was a long weekend. So, here I go. It's another night of dancing. The men are hungry, but the men have tasted many of the women already from previous nights. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> However, one, one beautiful woman, the same woman who smiled at me across, across the room, you know, the one who saw me dancing with the, the old woman, no one had danced with her. Not because uh, she wasn't a wonderful dancer, but she was one of the instructors, you know, very sought after. But she'd been dancing all day long in the classes, teaching other people the, this art, this art of the dance, of tango, of connecting with people. I looked at her, and I, I admit the hunger had gone out of my high eyes. There was more of a sense of, like, tired desperation. <laughs> but still, you know, I brought this kind, sweet glow onto my face, just kind of turned my head sideways a little bit and looked at her. I waited for her to turn towards me. She looked at me. I nodded, I smiled, she nodded, she smiled. I approached, and onto the dance floor we went. Oh, this was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. By the way, this is not what tango looks like, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> Let's fence forward once again here to the following night. You know, every night at, yeah, thank you. Sleeping, perfect. Um, <laughs> here we are again, last night of the tango festival. I'm exhausted. No hunger at all in my eyes. <laughs> Nothing. I'm sitting. 
Everybody else is dancing. I'm just watching them. I got nothing. Oh, the night's coming to a close. I'm feeling kind of like a failure a little bit, you know, because it's like the last night. This should be it. This, this should be like the culmination. This should be the ultimate connection. No, none of that. However, these professional tango instructors, they're there, they give their magnificent performances once a night. They come out onto the floor, everybody's watching. And they do these dances, they do these incredible acrobatics, they, they twist, they flip, they do amazing things, they have all of this skill. And I'm astounded, of course. And then, these professional dancers, they break apart. And they come to the audience, and one, she takes me, she pulls me out onto the dance floor. I don't know what to do. She's, she's amazing. But I do know what to do. I, I just continue. I continue with this desire for truth, this desire for beauty, this desire to bring pleasure, this desire to get pleasure, this desire really to become something more, more than just another person. More than just a fuzzy sheep with glasses. I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of losing a little bit of the thread of the story, but you, you get the picture. You, you can see how it goes. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful trip. I had a good time, you know, everybody had a good time. So that's about it, folks. There's my story. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Down the Rabbit Hole show sponsor, Idaho Candle Company. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessari, featuring live music from WEND. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org, or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube at Story Story Night. You can submit to be a featured storyteller by writing story at storystorynight.org.